Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 25. And you know, it's been said when we pray, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says wait. Or he says not yet. And Isaac couldn't have known that, and we don't often know that, right? We have no, sometimes we wish there was a little, you know, uh, fine print on the bottom where we could fill in the gaps, but we just don't have it. We just know he waited. She was barren, but then the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And I'm sure that must have been an incredible time of joy. I'm sure they prayed and prayed and prayed, and once they, they understood that she was pregnant and was showing and and so forth, I'm sure that he picked her up and swung her around or, you know, they celebrated and all that stuff. But there's a word that follows the happy times of you're pregnant, wonderful, praise God, he answered our prayer. Do you sometimes pray for something and then you get it and then you go, why did I pray for that? Well, here it comes. Verse 22 says, but the children struggled together within her. Now, this wasn't just simply the fetal movement of a preborn child that's pretty cool and can be kind of freaky, to be honest. When my wife was pregnant with our three, sometimes I would just lay on her belly and, and she would go, oh, 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 there's kicking things going. And sometimes you see a, the print of a foot come through her stomach and you're like, wee, wee, this is a horror movie. I don't know. I don't know if I like this. But anyway, but it was pretty cool to see the movements there. But Rebecca, when this stuff was happening and there was a struggle together within her, she said, if it is so, why then am I this way, 22? Or to put it in modern vernacular, what in the world is going on inside me? It seems like there's a wrestling match. You see the word struggle in verse 22? It's ratzat in Hebrew. And the word literally means the children smash themselves inside of her. It's like they were having a fist fight. MMA was happening inside Rebecca. And it wasn't pretty. And, and she was like, whoa, this is not just a normal stuff. These kids are inside of me. And apparently, you know how brothers can be, right? Once they're outside of the womb, they can throw blows. Well, apparently they were doing it inside the womb. There was a wrestling match going on. The word in Hebrew, if you look it up in the lexicon, ratzat, for struggled, uh, the word could be defined as they were cracking each other in pieces, or it can mean to crush or oppress. There was a lot going on in Rebecca, and she wondered, why am I this way? So finally, I think, and I don't know how long this uh, pause was, but she went to inquire of the Lord. Maybe she shared it with her husband. Nobody seemed to know what was going on. And finally, she inquired of the Lord about the struggle. Henry Morris in his commentary on Genesis says these words, there's much we, we do not yet understand concerning the growth of the preborn child. Present day abortionists seem to feel that an embryo is not really a person until its birth even though live births can take place any time over a period of several months before and after the normal gestation period. It is true, we cannot remember anything connected with our life before birth, but neither do we remember anything for several years after birth. 
A newborn babe does have feeling, however, and can exhibit anger. And I've mentioned to you pain in the past as well as contentment. So why should this not also be true for the period prior to birth? It's a mystery. We don't know everything. But you know what? Before about the age of five, I don't know about how good your memory is. I meet some people and they say, yeah, when I was playing in my crib when I was nine months old, I had an airplane and I used to twirl it around. I'm like, what in the world? I can't remember what I had for breakfast, right? But some people remember, sometimes you remember flashes from your childhood, you know, maybe somewhere where you were playing or a face. But I don't know. For most people I talk, seem to talk to at least, you know, about before the age of five, uh, I'm not sure that you remember a whole lot. So I would just recommend to your parents that, you know, don't spend a lot on early birthday parties. They won't remember unless you take good video. But uh, you know what? I know we want to bless our kids. So... Um, Anyway, the struggle. The struggle would be a foretaste of what would happen to these two boys for the rest of their lives. 23 says, the Lord said to her, this is the answer. She says, what's going on in me, Lord? Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. And one, pe one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. What's going on in me, Lord? The answer comes from God. I don't know how it came. I don't know if it came through a prophecy. I don't know if the Lord kind of spoke to her heart. I don't know exactly the means of it, but she was told, you have two nations inside of you, and they're warring. They're battling. There's two people groups inside of you, and the older is going to serve the younger. In so many cases in the Bible, it's the younger child who becomes the heir, uh, Seth, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, Joseph. I mean, these were all the youngest in their families in many cases, and they, they became the heir. They became, they had the rights of the firstborn. And by the way, if you were the firstborn in a family, you had like twice the land and wealth privileges. It was a big deal to be the firstborn. And so when that was taken away, you know, it was a, it was a tragedy for those who were firstborn. And I think this is a reminder that God doesn't do things the way we do them. God doesn't really care about the nature of how we do things. God has his own choice. Many of you have wrestled with these verses. I'll mention them. Romans 9, 10 through 12 says these words. Not only this, but there was Rebecca also, Romans 9, 10 through 12, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born... And it had not done anything good or bad. In order that God's purpose according to his choice, or God's purpose in election, NIV might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Romans 9 is the classic passage on election, predestination, and it causes a lot of people problems. But you have to remember that God chose Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, God chose Isaac. God chose Jacob, who was the younger to the older would serve him. He renamed him to Israel. God chose everyone in this line, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Read the, the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one, and you see some surprising names in there. And God chose that whole line. And here's the beauty of how it works. God you know, uh, predestination is taught in the Bible, and it means that God chose you as well to be his child. That's pretty cool, isn't it? 
Some, some people wrestle with that. Well, if he chose me, did he not choose other people? Well, I don't believe in double predestination. That's what some extreme Calvinists hold. They believe that God predestines people to heaven and predestines others to hell. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. But there's something called simultaneous election that you need to know about. I'll remind you, if you heard our Romans 9 study, I threw this out to you as kind of the, what I understand is a classical position on predestination and free will. And here's how it works. God does not have to look down a corridor of time and say, he's in, she's in, he's out, she's out. God doesn't look down a corridor of time. He's eternal. So what the classic position holds is what's called simultaneous election. God doesn't look down a corridor of time and select people. God is eternal. The past, present, and future are all before him. So when he wrote a prophecy about Judas, and people get upset about the prophecy, Judas, poor Judas. God already said that Jesus would be betrayed by a close friend. Judas really didn't have a choice, did he? Well, Judas did have a choice, and his choice was real, but God could write a prophecy about Judas before he ever existed because God lives in the now. There is no past. There is no present or future for God. It's now. So he could write a prophecy about Judas. Judas could exercise his free will in his lifetime, but God's prophecy could not be thwarted because he already knew what Judas was going to do. Does that mean he... pulled Judas's arm to do it? No, it just means God already knew it. So it couldn't change. I give the illustration. I don't have time to give all of this to you tonight, but go back and listen to the Romans 9 study and listen to the first 20 minutes where I go over this. And I, I kind of give you the uh, illustration of uh, having a, a ball game uh, on your, uh, uh, what do you call it? What? It's not a VCR anymore. It's called a DVR. And you hear the final score, and so basically when you replay that game, no matter how many times you replay that game, the outcome will always be the same. That's how everything is to God. God can't learn anything. Everything is now for God. He's never surprised. He never looks at Michael up in heaven and goes, boy, I didn't see that one coming. God lives in the now because he's eternal. That's what's called simultaneous selection. Okay, we're going to pause here for a second. So um, we have a special time of prayer happening right now, and there's 28 churches involved tonight um, praying specifically over what happened in France where the priest was killed, uh, his throat was slit by some ISIS people, and they held a worship team hostage. And um, you know, finally, I think police got involved, and I understand that the people who did this were, were dealt with by the police But um, we continue to see this happening over and over and over again in our world. I got a text from a young lady that goes to this fellowship, and she said, please be careful, Pastor Michael. And this world's so crazy, and I appreciate that. Um, But we know that a lot of this is happening elsewhere. It doesn't mean that we don't have stuff happening here. But, you know, wherever the church is persecuted, we don't have to be the same denomination. We don't have to be, you know, agree on everything. But if our brothers or sisters are are killed or persecuted in another uh, country or whatever, we, we care. It matters to us. And I know it matters to God. In fact, I know that God takes persecution personally. Because in Acts chapter 9, Jesus said to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? So God takes that personally. 
And, uh, you know, he's told the church to pray. When James was, was killed in Acts 12 by Herod, um, Herod saw that the, the Jewish leadership was pleased with that, so he took Peter into custody. And the church in Acts chapter 12 went into prayer. That's what they did in response to Peter being taken into custody and James, the brother of John, being killed. And they prayed and prayed and prayed, and miraculously enough, an angel came and broke Peter free. Remember that? Angelic jailbreak. Pretty cool. Peter wondered if he was dreaming or having a vision, and the angel said, wake up, Peter, come on. And out they went, right? And Peter showed up at the door where the prayer meeting was. You remember that? Rhoda answers the door. <gasps> Hold on a minute. Runs upstairs. Peter's at the door. Oh, no, no, no. We're just praying here. They were praying for Peter's release. God answered their prayer, and they didn't believe it. And they answered, it's probably his angel. I'd like further explanation on exactly what that means as well. But anyway, that's for another time. But for now, we're going to pray. If you can, get down on your knees. Please do. If you're not physically able to, don't worry about it. Um, but let's just take a moment to pray. Father God, we do want to just lift up all pastors and priests in our world, all those who lead worship. Um, we want to lift up the body of Christ to you because these are, these are difficult days, Lord, and we don't always know what to do, but we know that you have given us a pattern in Scripture that you tell us that we need to pray. We need to call upon heaven. It doesn't mean that we don't do some practical things as well, but but we do know that we need to call to our God. And we, we ask, Lord, for your mercy to fall upon all those who have been impacted by persecution in our world because many Christians have died at the hands of those who oppose Christianity. The numbers are staggering, really, and alarming. There's been genocides of Christians and other uh, ethnicities and, and beliefs uh, groups, and there's a lot of terrible stuff going on in our world. And so we're just going to ask, Lord, for your mercy to fall on every person that's been impacted. We ask for your protection over your people. We pray that you'd put a hedge about us, Lord, and give us wisdom in these days to know what we should do and how we should go about your business, Lord. But let it be a reminder to us, Lord, that sometimes persecution has really purified the church. And uh, we don't we certainly don't ask for that, Lord. We don't ask to be persecuted, but we know you've used it in past days to motivate the church to be about your business. And we just pray for your mercy to fall on us, Lord, that uh, the church all over the world will rise up, preach the good news of the gospel. And when we think of Saul, you know, who was an enemy of the church, he became Paul. He was converted, and that does happen. But we know vengeance also belongs to you. And at the end of Acts 12, you killed Herod. An angel of the Lord killed Herod. And, and so, Lord, I, I see some poetic justice in that whole chapter as well. And we're going to leave that in your hands, but we're just going to ask tonight that your mercy would fall, healing to those victims that have to deal with the aftermath of this, Lord. And we pray that it will be a, an opportunity for the gospel, that you'll work it together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, thank you. All right, so the mention of um, this particular scene is in Romans 9, as I mentioned, 10 through 12. 
And so the war was going on. Pick it up with me, Genesis 25, 24. And it says, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. So that's why I say you pray, you get more than you bargain for. <laughs> they got twins, right? And the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Now, if you look up the name Esau, I think you'll find in many of the lexicons that the name means hairy. And if you look up the name Edom, Edom is the nation that came from Esau, and Edom means red. So I've heard some people call Esau big red. That may be pretty close, but he was hairy and red. In fact, um, it's believed from these descriptions that he probably had red hair. And those who are in Western culture picked up the idea of the red-headed stepchild. I think there's, that's actually where a lot of this kind of stuff comes from. But Esau comes forth. He's born first. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob or Yaakov. Yaakov. And Isaac was, here's the 20 years, 60 years old. He married Rebekah at 40. He was 60 when she gave birth to them. So Esau came forth first, and I don't know if there was a, a nursemaid there or whatever, but I'm sure when she grabbed him, she said, did you already put a blanket on him? Was I, was I not watching? <laughs> he was hairy. He was a furry guy. And uh, Jacob came forth second, and he had a hand on uh, Esau's heel, which is interesting because remember in the womb, what were they doing? They were struggling. There was like a war going on, a precursor of relations between these two nations. And it's interesting to think about this, but some believe that what Jacob was doing by grabbing his brother's heel was trying to pull him back into the womb. Kind of like, I, no, I'm first. You're, they're not going first. Get back in there. So that was a precursor of things to come. And so he was known as, his name has the idea of the heel catcher or the heel grabber. You guys have heard that in terms of his particular name. And so Esau and then Jacob. Uh, some say that his, his name, Yaakov, in Hebrew means to protect. For example, one writer says, those who follow at the heels of the rear guard of an army. So it could mean heel catcher or protector. And uh, we, we don't have a whole lot here because all of a sudden it says, when the boys grew up, 27, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. And I want to talk about these two guys for a second. Skillful hunter was Esau. Jacob was a peaceful man. This is an important Hebrew word to write down. It's T-A-A-M, tam, or ta'am. And the word in Hebrew for a peaceful man is, uh, here's how you describe it. The word means complete, perfect, one who lacks nothing in physical strength or beauty. It speaks of uh, perfect or upright. It's used in Job 1.8 when God describes Job as a blameless and upright man. There, the word is used for blameless. So, uh, you know, in some ancient versions, it called Jacob kind of a plain guy. That's not what the Hebrew word means. The Hebrew word actually means that he was strong, he was confident, he was able. It's that kind of idea. In fact, the word has the connotation that he was blameless. 
And so when you think of Jacob, don't think of some soft dude. That's not what he was. He was a strong man, and he, but he seemed to be a man who had other interests, and he stayed close to the tent, while Esau was a mountain man who didn't even need a fur coat. So just so you have that. Um, I had the chance to go to Israel in 2006, and just so you know, we're planning a trip to Israel in the spring of 2018. So we're going to give you, and we'll have a brochure for you soon. Uh, I'm going to be teaching at a lot of the historical sites. So if you want to go to Israel, you have to save about $4,000. That's what it'll cost. But if you want to go, here's where I'm going with this. Uh, so spring of 2018, start saving your money. You'll have about a year and a half to save. Um, You'll find something about the uh, Jewish people that is quite amazing. They are tough. They are enterprising people. They are exporting fruits and vegetables all over the world. They're probably the top in the top three or four in technology. They are incredible in um, uh, counterintelligence kind of stuff and protecting their nation. They are a very, very enterprising people. They're a very strong people. You, everybody who's a citizen of Israel must serve in the military for two years, male and female, no exceptions. So if you, may, you meet a lady in the restaurant and she's working in the restaurant, she's been in the military for two years and you know it. They're nice, very, very sweet people, but they're tough. Like, Can I have another carrot? All right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> anyway. Now, Isaac loved Esau because, now this is, this is per, uh, how not to parent 101 right here. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. Boy, I love that kid. He's always killing things. It's great, and then we come back and we roast him together, we kick back. He's a great kid. Hunter. Harry. <laughs> Love that boy. Man, we have great dinners together. That's the uh, deeply spiritual father, Isaac, son of promise, because he had a taste for game. But Rebecca, who did she love? She loved Jacob. Now, I want to mention this. I don't think this means that they didn't love the other children. I think this just means they had more love for the particular kids. So this is, this is obviously a big mistake in parenting to show favoritism. But you know what? Humans are humans, and this, unfortunately, is what often happens. So... Esau, one writer says, was a likable guy, but he was a fleshly man. Uh, in fact, he forgave Jacob and moved on in chapter 33. We'll see him be gracious to his brother, but he was godless. He was an immoral person. Tom Thomas Carlyle says of Esau, he's the kind of man whom we're in the habit of charitably saying that he is nobody's enemy but his own. But in truth, he is God's enemy because he wastes the splendid manhood which God has given him He's passionate and patient, impulsive, incapable of looking before him, refusing to estimate the worth of anything which does not immediately appeal to his sense, preferring the animal over the spiritual. He's called a profane person. Jacob, on the other hand, seems strong, steady, thinks about things, 
uh, plans for the future. I don't know what camp you fall in. I don't know if you're a, a person, maybe you're changing. You know, do you remember that Jacob, um, he has, this is ahead of us, he has that wrestling match one night with God, and he wrestles all night with God, the angel of the Lord, and he won't let go until God does what? I won't let go until you bless me, right? And he holds on. Jacob cared about spiritual things. He cared about birthrights and blessings. He cared about the lineage. He cared about being in connection with God. And his name gets changed from Jacob to Israel. And there are many commentators that believe that Israel means governed by God. Can I ask you right now, is that how you would describe your life, governed by God, that God's prevailing? Well, God's going to prevail ultimately, but he wants you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That's really why we do Living Truth Radio, by the way. It is to equip Christians to go deeper in their faith and to let God really steer the wheel of their life. And, and my friends, if you've been listening for a while, you know that's a process, you know it's a struggle. But in the end, that's why we're doing Christian Radio is to encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Thank you for praying for us. And if you can help us out financially, and we'd appreciate it because it does take quite a bit of funding to be on the air on multiple radio stations, you can help us out by clicking on the donate button at livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. But more than that, use the contact form and let us know who you are, on what station you listen, and how we can pray for you. Because it's not always easy to tell folks who's listening on radio. And so we'd love to hear from you. And if you've got a story about how these messages have encouraged your faith, we'd like to hear that too. You can do all of that at livingtruthradio.org. On behalf of Andy Chapel, this is Pastor Michael Lance, and with special thanks again to Oscar Santa Cruz. We'll catch you next time on the program. God bless you. Hey, listening family, it is summertime, and that means Vacation Bible School VBS is coming to Living Truth Christian Fellowship here in the city of Corona. The dates are July 10th through the 14th, and registration has begun for children kindergarten through sixth grade at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. The theme for this year's VBS or Vacation Bible School is Maker Fun Factory, created by God and built for a purpose. And there your kids will experience the fact that God is their creator and he especially gifted them for a good purpose. That is July 10th through the 14th, Vacation Bible School here at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. Sign up your kids today at livingtruthcorona.org. You can find out all the information you need there. Get your kids registered and we look forward to seeing you there. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry, and we have an opportunity to expand our reach. We exist to build up believers and reach out with the gospel to others. And we need you, our listening family, to partner with us in prayer and in giving in order to do that. You can give in a couple different ways. One way is to go online to livingtruthradio.org, or you can send in your offering to Living Truth Christian Fellowship, 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. 
Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.